Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks, recording this in my kitchen where you might be able to hear my washing machine in the background. If I'm honest, I worry that I put this wash on too late in the day and I don't know if I'm going to get it all dry in time, but uh, that's, that's the rock and roll lockdown life for you. Anyway, on this episode, we're joined by comedian Jordan Brooks, who won last year's Edinburgh Comedy Award. And I don't think that's the official name, but basically he won the prize for having the best show because he's really funny. So I think you should go and look him up because he's ace. But make sure you still listen to this podcast as well. And if you've ever listened to these podcasts and thought, I wish I could tell everyone who and what really annoy me, then now you can with our companion podcast, Compact Dicks, which we put out every Friday. And if you want to nominate your dick choices, then go to dickspod.com slash contact and we could feature them in the next Compact Dicks. Whatever you do, though, you should subscribe to us and then you'll get the regular Desert Island Dicks and Compact Dicks downloaded automatically to your phone or your device and then you're laughing, quite literally, if it's been a good episode. But now it's time to get on with this episode with comedian Jordan Brooks. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian Jordan Brooks. How are you doing? Hi, hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, how, how do we find you today in this slightly shitty wet Thursday? Yeah, I don't mind it. I, I, I quite like it. Um, I've always enjoyed sort of gloomy weather, to be honest, in the same way that I'm like, and I'd say, I'd say this very quietly, quite enjoying the, the not not the pandemic, but the, 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 the quarantine and the sort of everyone having to sort of shut down and live in a kind of state of anxiety, because I'm like... No, that is that is a, a fair reflection of of the human condition. So <laughs> I think it's a, sometimes it's nice to sit in it and feel it sort of externalised. So you're like, finally, I've found like society's adapted to me rather than the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like I've been sat in a room at a party on my own, and suddenly everyone's turned up, and I'm like, well, 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 look who decided to show up. It's everyone else. <laughs> Fair enough. And and how did you find the process of sort of choosing your uh, your dicks for the island today? Um, well, I, I chose some stuff that, and I'm sure you've had this before. There are there are people in there or things in there that I love, but mm-hmm. would obviously hate to be trapped with. Right. Uh, and then, and then there are there are people that I I despise or things that I despise and would equally hate to be trapped with. So it's, um, I, I think I've been quite considered in my choices. Okay, great. I'd hope I have. <laughs> well, let's find out. Who's going to be your first choice to be stuck on an island with? David Attenborough. David Attenborough. Okay, so mm. this is, I think, probably quite a controversial one, I would say. Yeah, but um, we have to remember that he is a, an old man, mm. uh, increasingly sad about the world. <laughs> Do I do I want to have someone who is a who is a mascot for the disintegration of civilization and natural life <laughs> with me? That's a very fair point. Forever. Yeah. Also, I'll have to watch him die. Yeah. I'll have to watch David Attenborough die. Sad, sad that he wasn't able to make the changes that he hoped for, and then I'll have to bury his body. 
<laughs> that's a good point actually yeah because of watching a, a national he- hero wither in front of you is going to be tough brutal yeah absolutely absolutely brutal also maybe you know i i only i only as i'm sure obviously most people do know him through narrating and presenting these documentaries mm. i don't really know what he's like as a person off camera what if I discover that he's actually not a nice man at all, mm. as it seems to be the case? You know, our entire sort of like cultural history has been has been disemboweled and forensically examined, and it turns out that no one is who we thought they were. N- nothing is what we thought it was. I don't think that my heart could take that happening with David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, because I, th- I think, you know, you get sort of the word national treasure is bandied around quite a lot these days, you know, but I feel like he's probably more loved than the Queen, you know. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on there. Oh, there's so much pressure. Imagine the pressure that, that he is under, that Michael Palin is mm. under. They cannot put a foot wrong. <laughs> because right now they are all of us, or rather they are the us we would like to be. Mm. They are the sort of, you know, they are a, an ambassador for for, for virtuousness. And if it turns out that one of either of them have done anything awful, I think there will be a collective outpouring of grief that, as you say, is probably going to be bigger than than the response to Princess Diana's death. Yeah, yeah. If it turns out that David Attenborough is a paedophile, there will be people laying <laughs> flowers outside Buckingham Palace for some reason. <laughs> I suppose the only good thing about people dying of that calibre is you get really good telly for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like my friend said he was really pleased when James Brown died because it was over Christmas and he had loads of really good programmes about James Brown to watch. So he was actually quite happy about it all. <laughs> That's true. Although I wonder how much of what we'd see of David Attenborough's output would just be shows that basically the subtext of which is, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. look, look, look what I spent my life doing, which was warning you. Mm, yeah. And now I'm no longer here to warn you. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... He, increasingly I just feel awful because I know that there are all these new series he's done I'm like brilliant new Attenborough but it is kind of going to make me feel sad so yeah, <laughs> yeah. it really like hold... Wait, new facts on why the world is awful yeah it really sort of like holds a mirror up to your sort of to, to your psyche doesn't it it's like oh do I want to feel miserable but also see the pretty birds of paradise well, maybe not tonight <laughs> you know yeah, I just exactly, feel like an exactly. awful human being also as you say he is very old so probably not that useful on the island so you're gonna to have to look after him a lot and you, you might end up resenting him because you're like oh you're sort of like an extra person i have to look after rather than chipping in and getting you know i'm sure he'd want to chip in but it's just you know mm. he's what 94 or something like that or he's really old he has the but he has the sort of tenacity that my my <laughs> i'm not sure why my brain was was suggesting i use this phrase but my remaining nan <laughs> um <laughs> has got like she's very you know she's very fiercely independent she drives still she's very like um she's very on top of uh, on top of herself and very very much refuses help Mm. and i think that um i think he would be like that for a very long time yeah and it would be almost worse because then you're having to tell someone who doesn't want to hear it that it's time for them to relinquish a little bit of control over their own lives 
David Attenborough is not going to go quietly. No, no. Or just having to redo everything he started. Like, oh no, don't worry, I, I can, um, I can weave those palm fronds into a shelter, and then you're going around going, it's fucking leaking again, Attenborough. I'm going to have to go and yeah. fix this. Yeah. One of the saddest things that um, my my nan, um, my my departed nan, her eyesight was going, and she was definitely becoming a bit more senile in her later years. And there was a great, there was a sort of having to not not cover it up but excuse those inc- those moments when you see her f- fra- you know f- fragility mm. and you see her age she she once ruined one of my shirts cuz she she didn't notice that she was burning it mm. and um i was really annoyed and my sister took me to another room and said you've got to not you can't you can't be annoyed at her mm. she doesn't know what's going she doesn't know why you're in a bad mood or anything you have to just let it go so i just carried on wearing that shirt without, <laughs> without probably for months after she died as well just in tribute fair enough oh that's nice okay so david attenborough is going to join you on the island and uh, mm-hmm. who's going to be joining the two of you uh my one of my ex-girlfriends okay Yep, and uh, why in particular? <laughs> I mean, it's obvious um, why, because that'd be bloody awkward. But <laughs> it'd be terrible. Um, well, this this one is um, is one who uh, I mean, it was one of those ones that ended very badly, and you know, it's it's the one that you sort of that surprises you, <laughs> where you're both like, "Hang on a minute, we were going to be together for a long time. Mm-hmm. This is stupid," and then somehow just didn't. We weren't able to reconcile. Um, our tendency after our breakup was to forensically examine every single <laughs> detail, every single aspect of the of the relationship and the breakup. And I know that we, upon arriving at the desert, uh, at the at the deserted islands, we'd still have our coats on when we're beginning our first post mortem. You know, <laughs> and I, I, I just, I would rather not have the stress of raking over that particular sadness yeah yeah it's one of those things it doesn't matter like you could both sort of arrive at the island you know with families and kids with other you know with another partner back on the mainland and still mm. that relation that bit of your previous relationship is never going to end is it it's like you're locked into that that bond with someone forever to do that yeah for sure i think we we sort of we sort of kid ourselves that you know time heals all wounds and we get over stuff and actually we we never really do and these things do just sort of sit with us and they do inform who we become and so therefore we can't ever forget because we can't forget why we are now the way we are um and i know that having that person around would make me very sad (laughs) it would be very sad it would make me very sad i think as well sometimes with things like with exes like even if they're completely fine with something you're almost second guessing their reaction for something you know like you'd be on the Mm. island going i bet they think i'm just gonna fuck this up again like i used to fuck that up but but wait till they see this and they probably don't even know what you're doing but you're kind of like you're going through so much in your head going oh well wait until they see this that i've done that's not like the old me ha but it but it is or or they'll you know or be something completely different that annoyed them about you you know yeah totally it's um because you start to i think the sad sort of thing about i mean there's no easy way of getting over someone in fact there is no blueprint for it and there is no let's be honest ultimately effective way of of breaking yourself off from that person so but when you but one of the sort of common ways is obviously in not in the kind of there's a 
yeah, there's a sort of casual demonization of that person because <laughs> you almost have to go, all right, fuck it, I'm going to hate them then. Because <laughs> what else can I do? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to leave it there. I'm going to have to press pause on my image of that person, and that image is the least favorable one because otherwise, I will never stop thinking about this. Mm. Um, and so you'll be, yeah, if you're trapped with them, you'll be constantly thinking what do they see what person do they what person did i leave behind there yeah and how frustrating is it going to be to feel like no i'm a new person i'm different i've grown and they refuse to waver on the you know on the pause button yeah oh god it's such a messy thing and i mean also the other thing is you know you're stuck on an island together at some point you know you're going to crave a little bit of comfort you've already had that with this person in that life you know like Mm. and if just out of necessity you slip back into that just because you know you want to cuddle after a long time i mean think how complicated that's going to be i mean that's just oh it's going to be horrific and then have another breakup on the island (laughs) yeah exactly exactly um because things are never the same Hmm. you know they're never the same once you've broken up it's very very difficult to repair um you don't ever really forget because it's not the same because you're trying to go back to what it was before the breakup but of course it is not you can't because you are both changed by the breakup um so yeah you're right it just adds new new sort of chapters to this saga of of uh of trauma i can imagine you walking back to the campfire after after another blazing row david attenborough tries to comfort you by sort of comparing your situation to something in the animal kingdom like yeah you know the uh the something something bird in Madagascar. They mate this way. And you're like, Shut, not now, David. Sorry. Not now, David. You've still got you've still got half a head of shampoo because you couldn't wash it all off yourself. <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to rinse your head under a watering can again. <laughs> while my ex shouts at me. <laughs> oh, this is already shaping up to be such an awkward environment. So uh, this is going very well. Um, who's who's going to be the third person to join those two then? The third person is a guy who I met in 2010, <laughs> who I, he was my neighbour um, when I was at uni. So I was living in a, I was living in a house share in Cardiff. And this is the first day we'd moved in. I was a little bit older. In fact, we were all like, not all of us were students, but we were all sort of early 20s. And uh, an American football lands in our garden. And this is in a student occupied area. So it's very studenty. And a guy knocks on the door and says, "Oh, I think my my football's in the gone into your garden, and we we get it for him, and we have a little chat with him, and he's just moved in as well with a bunch of people, and we were kind of you know we were being friendly, and I said, and I was very at the time I was very insecure, and I'd very I'd spent a lot of time on my own." I was really still very much learning how to sort of socialize and I was very, you know, I was saying stuff, but you know, when you're kind of self-conscious and so Mm. you stay, you say stuff in a very rigid way or a very prepared way, or, you know, you stumble over your words. There was a lot, there was a lot of that at the time. And I remember I said something to him, like what a great way of making friends, just throwing an American (laughs) football into people's gardens and then coming around to collect it. And he looked at me and went, sure thing. Wow. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, either either he didn't hear what I said and was just saying a generic response, mm. or 
he heard what I said and was just shutting it down in that way that particularly, and I, I'm reminded of this particular genre of, of mostly men in their early 20s who were very, uh, very closed off and very dismissive of other people and um, won't give you the laugh easily, won't, mm. you know, they're not very giving conversationally. <laughs> They're not very generous interpersonally, so they'll. It's everything. You almost feel as though there's a there's a joke in their head that you're not invited to, mm-hmm. and they're enjoying it while they're with you. Yeah. And it had that air. And I think about Sure Thing. I think about that man, Mister Sure Thing. <laughs> I think about him all the time. What he represents to me. I mean, he may have very well been a lovely man, but I refuse to see the the good. <laughs> <laughs> I am actively deciding that I I do not want him to be a good person. <laughs> I think it, it would almost be better if he kind of was openly kind of critical. You know, if he sort of sort of said something mm. like, "Oh, what are you a clown?" You know, well, we got we got a wise guy here. I don't know why he's talking yeah. like uh, just because he's got an American football. He's suddenly part of the mafia. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, no, no Parliament. Why not? Yeah. There's no smoke without fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, at least if he was a bit abrasive with it, you could be like, "Okay, you're just a prick." But just like a sort of two line, two word shutdown like that is like, I mean, there's something more psychopathic about it. It is, yeah. It was absolutely like that because, it, and it was, as I said, it was so hard to tell whether whether he just didn't hear me or he was being an, an asshole. But I remember him throwing his American football from one hand to the other as he as he said it. You know, that sort of like sure thing, mm. and through, and uh, I. I yeah, I'm. I'm almost. I'm almost certain it was. It, it was deliberate. I'm almost certain it was deliberate. <laughs> I wonder if like there's scope for you know you get like reality shows and it's like well we've tracked down that person for you but like for really sort of niche awkward encounters from a long yeah, time ago yeah. it's like we could have flown your nan here from uh, Australia but instead we've tracked down a guy from Cardiff. <laughs> uh, I don't know if this American football <laughs> rings any bells. Well, he's here tonight. <laughs> Uh, and it's, here it's he is. A, it's sure thing. He comes out and he's like in his thirties. Like I don't understand who you. I don't remember any of this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Married with kids as well, being like I can't believe I'm being roped into this. So uh, yeah, I thought I thought I was on. This is your life. This isn't going the way I planned it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just one of the when people sort of. Oh God, I mean, no pun intended, but when people don't play ball with this sort of conversational <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's so frustrating because you're like, well, you know how this works. Like, I was thinking recently, this is a bit of a tangent, but I was thinking recently, I was at this wedding and I was standing next to a woman I hadn't seen in ages. So I sort of said, oh, um, where do you live these days? And, you know, because I knew she used to live around Europe and stuff. She's like, oh, I'm not really sort of based anywhere. And I was like, right, but I mean, like, where, mm. like, you know, where, like, where do you keep your stuff? And she's like... I don't really like have stuff. In the end, I just said, you know what I'm doing here. We're at a wedding. I don't know you that well. Can you please give me some fucking small talk, please? Because this is how it works. And it's a different example, but it's that like unwillingness Mm. to just do a human thing and just grease the fucking wheels a bit, you know? Yeah, that's totally it. And it's it's a complete sort of, uh, yeah, it's a complete rejection, but it feels like a really unnecessary juvenile one. It's like, well, come Come on, we all know what this is. We all know what what game we're playing here. I yeah. say something, you say something, 
And when we hit a common vein, we both get really excited because our conversation is sorted for the next two or three minutes. And that's great for all of us. Yeah. But if you're not, it's that sort of, I mean, I guess it is that sort of classic, you know, improv trope of yes anding. Just mm. yes and me. Just just go along, just go along with it, please, for the sake of, it's such an easy, it's such an easy win because you're shutting down someone's basic human desire to connect. And that's a real <laughs> shitty maneuver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh man, and in in an island setting as well, a survival setting, and you've all got to get along. You've had an argument with your ex. David Attenborough's gone to bed early, and it's you and <laughs> this guy, and and that's yeah. it. And every, you just keep throwing balls up into the air, and you're like, nothing, no, <laughs> fuck, come on. Or you go on a hunting expedition together, or you know, you're going foraging or something, and it's just that every day forever, just banging your head against a wall made of that guy it's just him it's just him either saying sure thing or doing this thing that um someone did recently uh it was my it was my flatmate's birthday and this is this is still when we could have a rule of the the rule of six still applied and um a couple of his his mates came around and they were in their kind of early 20s mid mid 20s and i remember i made a couple of jokes up top and one of them reacted like he sort of went, hmm, like that. <laughs> Instead of laughing, he went, hmm. It almost like he had taken the attempt at humour and instead of laughing, had made it his own private joke in his head <laughs> that then he wasn't. And he was almost like laughing at me for trying to be funny. Uh, that's what I imagine this this guy is like. Oh, man, I, I absolutely detest this man as well whoever he is <laughs> in my head he's called sean thing 100 percent. but yeah i just think that kind of that kind of just daily tiny obstacle is just going to wear you down mm. so fast plus you've already got this baggage from so long ago already with him so to be stuck with him on an island i mean apart from a massive coincidence is just just a pain in the ass so uh yeah, yeah very frustrating <laughs> so yeah he's in he's he's there Okay, good choice. Now, uh, Jordan, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? So the the food is um, is this meal that my sister cooked for me a few months ago. Uh, <laughs> bless her. And she's, you know, she's a good cook, and she, but she's... Um, her and her, her her boyfriend got into making weird meals. I think they're both vegan now, or they they may have sort of wavered a little bit, but pr- pr- principally vegan. And they made this meal, and honestly, I, I'll eat anything, and I will finish most meals. R- rarely do I leave a plate with food on. But this thing, I had to s- discreetly deposit most of it into the bin. It was a, like a milky pasta... <laughs> With cone cone pasta shapes, and then this sort of th- thick, thicker than milk, but very much overwhelmingly tasting like milk sauce, <laughs> and it was white, and it and it there was also cashew nuts involved, um, and there, I mean, there probably were other things in it, but. <laughs> Those were the only things that you could taste was cashew, pasta and milk. And if you imagine all of those three flavours together, they don't make anything substantial or palatable. Honestly, like I was laughing as I was eating it because I couldn't I couldn't understand (laughs) 
And then and then she came and she made loads of it and she said, "Do you want any more? We're going to have seconds." And I was like, "What is going on?" I felt like I was being gaslit. I couldn't. I, I thought it was a prank. I was laughing at how bad it was, and I and I felt <laughs> felt awful. But but a bad meal is a bad meal. Yeah, I mean that's just I mean, that, none of those things make sense together. I mean, it just seems like one of those things you catch your your student flatmate making when you're like. Okay, is that yeah? Go for it, try it. But yeah, yeah as a grown-up yeah. in twenty twenty. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like a sort of student meal, you know, when they when people get creative with super noodles, mm. and it's like it's still super noodles at its heart. You've still built a meal around a ninety p pack of dry pasta. Yeah, but um, this uh, this meal, yeah, and I, I remember actually, I filmed. I think I filmed myself. Um, forking a little bit of pasta and then and then picking it up out of the sauce because the drip and the drizzle, <laughs> the sound of it and the sight of it was repellent. And I was like, I've oh. got to immortalise this for all time. I've got to have a video clip of this. And also, I mean, the nuts is a weird addition, but I mean, a cashew is particularly sort of, you know, it's got a creamy nut. Mm. So to have that with a milky sauce, it's not like even something like something to act as a counterpoint to the sort of the creamy sort of like, I don't know, what? Hazelnut, walnut, other nuts. But I mean, the cashews, it's too creamy already. It's what, what is that? What was it's part? It's part of the it's part of the same gloopy beige food group as all the yeah. other things. Yeah, it was foul. It was almost like they'd gone, right, we like this one thing. What are a load of other things that are like that thing <laughs> to enhance our experience of that first thing? And it did nothing, you know. I wonder if it's like some very, you know, specific Sicilian peasant dish that's kind of, you know, found mm. its way into, you know, Carluccio cookbook or something. It's like, here's something <laughs> my mother used to make. It's called crema alla something. You know, no, no, no. We've yeah, but the backstory of that is the, the, the mother hated her children. <laughs> yeah, it's just like my mother used to make, and then laugh as we ate it. Yeah, to ensure that we all felt lucky as children, once a week we would have an awful meal, as, you know, <laughs> to balance all the other lovely Italian home cooked meals we enjoyed the rest of the time. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, that does sound bleak, and and yeah, on an island as well. It's. I mean, it's it's very close to just having only porridge all the time. You know, and I like porridge, but mm. something. You know, the beauty of porridge is it's a vehicle for other things. You know, it's like a base for toppings. But without that, you know, you've just got gruel, basically. And, and Yeah. Yeah, it's like having pizza dough every day or something. Yeah. It's foul. It's just the vehicle. Yeah. Now, the the drink um, that I would would hate to, to sort of... for their, if, if this was the only drink available on the island, mm. um, something like... Uh, something alcoholic but more ale or a pint of lager i think i would get i would very quickly tire of that i'm not a yeah. big drinker and i would be i would be so annoyed that in order to have some sort of sustenance to have any kind of fluid in my system i would have to also be drunk would be very frustrating yeah yeah definitely and i think you know it's something like lager especially it's got quite a narrow operating window of temperature so to have it outside of that is is mm. you know going to be going to be difficult also i mean you know if you're not a big drinker but at some point you might just want to get pissed just as a something to do a different change of state and it's going to take a bit more effort with something like you know lager or, or, or ale or something because you know, especially ale sometimes it's like 
3% or something, it's going to take quite a long time to get there. So to struggle through however many pints it's going to take to give you a bit of a buzz to distract yourself. Exactly, is... yeah. And also I'm used to it as well because I've been drinking it all day just for mm. just for hydration. Yeah, like in the Middle Ages when it was better than the drinking water, wasn't it? You know, they'd have that yeah, sort of table exactly. beer. Yeah, it's salt water or Boddington's. <laughs> between a rock and a hard place um yeah i think that's we've had a few people pick things like lagers and and ales and stuff and and like they sort of feel controversial on on the surface because i think as as an island nation we we are like we have fetishized these things to the level where it's almost like i kind of think it should just be added to the flag you know and maybe now post brexit Mm. it will be i don't know (laughs) you know um but uh yeah i think when you sort of take it apart like if it's not in the right setting yeah i think there's a lot of issues with it so on a desert island a big sort of warm ale would just be dreadful oh just so foul so flat and so Mm. much of it yeah and it tastes how it looks and the island would smell like the day after a party or like an empty nightclub as well it would smell like a brewery with a minor leak yeah that hadn't been dealt with for months yeah okay and also god i just bring it back to your food choice as well like the idea of those two those two the creamy and the fizzy and oh oh washing washing down a a gloopy cashew nut (laughs) with a with a sip of 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 warm ale tropical warm ale oh god yeah yeah that's a yeah that's a good a good strong choice that Okay, well, I, I need to distract myself as as much as anything now, so I'm going to move on to the next bit, because fortunately you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? So my least favourite song is uh, Angels by Robbie Williams. Oh, yeah, and good choice. Now, now, as a song, I'm like... It's, you know, it's fine. I can understand why people would like it. But it's um, it's very haunting and it very quickly becomes annoying. And I, I, I discovered this when I was... Uh, well, between the ages of about 10 and 15, when I was uh, really excited about Christmas and I was trying to get to sleep on Christmas Eve, that would be the song that would play in my head. <laughs> you know when you're trying to get to sleep and something yeah. will inevitably kind of pop up to distract you uh, or keep you busy that was that song and I wouldn't be able to I couldn't stop thinking about a hand picking up the needle on a record player placing it down <laughs> it playing in its entirety and then going back to the beginning and I would be like tra- I'd be like trapped you know and I'd be five o'clock in the morning listening to oh, Robert Williams' Angel and trying to do anything I could imagining the record player getting smashed up imagining Robbie Williams being eviscerated just anything to, to, to put a full stop at the end of it but nothing ever worked and so you're like I'll, I'll sacrifice Christmas if it means I don't have to hear this again that's what I want yeah. for Christmas no Christmas so that I don't have this recurring yeah. nightmare thing exactly yeah. exactly um so that so that song in particular sticks in me like a like a thorn yeah it's a bad one i i feel like with that song there was a period where when i was young and take that were a thing they were a boy band and you like them if you like boy bands and other people who didn't like boy bands uh, or pop music you could say they're shit mm. and then at some point there was this weird changeover where they aged a bit 
and Gary Barlow became this sort of revered songwriter and it was okay to like them as grown-ups and it was like oh no but you know he's a really good songwriter and 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 that sort of era and it happened with Robbie Williams as well like and I remember I work in radio and I, when I, I was trying to get some experience before I worked in the industry and I was working at this little well someone I'd met said I could come along and help out on their radio show in Brighton and I was really excited and it was a big deal and they had some like local performers in there who were about my age and I remember saying something disparaging about Robbie Williams and Angels and this guy who'd been come, who'd come on to play a song he went to music college and he just so condescending and was like well actually I think if you'll listen to Angels properly you'll find it's a really brilliantly thought out piece of songwriting and just gave me this like real put down and because I was kind of just this sort of like lackey in the office I couldn't really say like are you fucking mm-hmm. joking and to give you an idea of this guy he had a tattoo on his arm of like uh, of a female angel but she was in chains because it was sad because he was you, you, do you know what i mean say say no more yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, and so i just i can't think about that so when i hear that song it's either that fucking guy oh he had dreadlocks yeah. as well and was white um, he did. so <laughs> it's either that guy but there's also like sort of like a drunken lad thing with that song, isn't it? As well, like blokes mm. suddenly kind of it was okay for blokes to sing along, like "You're me, protection." Ah, like, oh, man, that's exactly the sort of thing it is. Yeah, it's um, and it's it's interesting that the yeah that sort of unconscious elevation of of Gary Barlow and Bobby Williams's talents. Yeah, I see no evidence for it beyond mm. just Gary Barlow doing a lot of songs. Yeah, I, I didn't realise prolificness was a sign of genius. I've got a theory it's to do with how many times people see you behind a grand piano on telly. It's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because before, <laughs> yeah. like in the early days, they were just they were just boys. Sometimes they had their tops off or they're leaning on each other or they're lads. They're having their good time boys. But over time, you know, like maybe some of them are on stools. Gary Barlow's retreated behind the keys. And like, hang on a yeah. minute. I know what you're doing. I know what's someone's, going on someone, Someone's had children. Yeah. Someone's a father. Yeah, and it's like, that. they're still the same songs. Like, can't anyone see this? It's just a fucking piano. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, it's a good yeah. Song. So I, I would, um, yeah, I'd love, I'd love for that song to. I mean, I would hate for that song to, to, uh, to, to be joining me. Yeah, it's a perfect, perfect choice. And uh, what would your film choice be? My film choice would be something big and grand, like Inception, or mm. another Christopher Nolan film like Dunkirk, or the Sam Mendes film last year, nineteen seventeen. Anything that's like big epic because after time they get very tedious to watch i could watch a bad film multiple times and you you it almost provides you with a blank canvas from which you can sort of spin your own understanding Mm. of it and look for meaning that isn't there you can be kind of playful and creative with it with a film like inception i think i would tire very quickly of its of its bombast you know yeah yeah because i think things like that they sort of rely on their like yeah, the scale and budget and kind of intrigue the first time. Or if it's one of the wartime ones, then it's kind mm. of the shock of it all. But yeah, over time, it's yeah, there isn't really anything else to enjoy in it after you've seen it the first time. I don't know how many people re-watch uh, Dunkirk and things like that. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I watched nineteen seventeen again for the second. So I saw it in the cinema and I was transfixed. I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was so good. And then I watched it again, and I re- I still really enjoyed it. But there was a there was a drop off. Mm. There was a there was a tangible diminishing returns on it. Um, I think I think I would rather watch I would rather watch Cats mm. repeatedly for all time than nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Because at least with cats again, it it's so bad that you can sort of find new little nuggets of of your own personal enjoyment. Yeah. Whereas when a film's good, <laughs> when it's good, when it when a film sets out to achieve something and succeeds, there's nothing in it for me as a viewer. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense, and especially with this sort of with the the war based ones. I mean, like I don't know, they just make me feel like. I just sit there going, cowering, just going, oh, I'm so comfortable and weak and shit. I couldn't do this. God, if there was another <laughs> yeah. world war. Like I said to my wife the other day, like, if there was another world war, I'd probably just run away, you know, or I'd do something. I'd look after you guys, but, like, I'm not joining up. She's like, what if it was, like, a real classic good versus evil, like, you know, dictator wiping out all of a, a whole race and is coming to our island? I'd be like... Then maybe, but I'd still try and do something where I was basically just fetching and carrying, you know, like and I yeah, I'd still, of... I'd still hastily go to medical school and try and retrain as a as a doctor or something. Yeah, it's like oh, I work in the media; it's essential because we provide entertainment and that lifts the spirits. It's morale. And I, I, was, <laughs> I had to I had to change the conversation because, like, you know, she's very supportive. We've been together fifteen years, but I could just sort of see her her sort of idea of who I am as a person just sort of slowly withering away. And I was like, oh, look over there, there's a robin. <laughs> but and I do just find that and i think sort of watching it over and over again you're just like oh god you're already suffering mm-hmm. on the island and you're watching other people suffering and yeah it's too much yeah it's just too much it's too much and also i, I mean i assume that on this desert island i'm i'm watching this on a screen out in the open mm. so there's you know the sun is bouncing off it it's uh it's it's a tiny little screen is it on the is it recovered from a plane you say yeah yeah just like one chair you know that you have to see yeah it's it. one little cinema chair yeah so you know watching an epic on on a plane mm. is is irritating even when it's in the sky and functioning yeah. so sat in the sand somewhere on a tropical beach with David Attenborough squinting to make sense of any of it. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, good choice again. Uh, now, Jordan, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Slow Loris. Slow Loris. You know what? I watched a programme on these just the other day. Yeah. Yeah, explain. They're not as cute as people want to believe they are. <laughs> Their big eyes are very deceptive. They move in a in a sinister way. Mm. And they're very unfriendly, and they're also very easily spooked. So if I if there was a slow loris, I wouldn't be able to bond with it at all. Mm. It would just be this weird, creepy little thing living its own independent life on the island. Yeah. And occasionally I'd see it, you know, from like, it would suddenly just appear from the bushes and we'd both look at each other. And it would be, because it's got those big, wide... Uh, eyes that are almost like a space for you to project your own <laughs> assumptions onto it but obviously it doesn't have a clue what it doesn't it's not thinking in the in the way that you think it is and it's so there's this sort of like 
you can't make sense of what it's of what it's thinking or feeling. Yeah, they're so almost cute, but like at mm. some point it takes a squirt. So if people aren't familiar with the slow loris, they're like, I think they're I don't know what you might call like a bush baby. I think you know they're like small mm. sort of fl- furry mammal type things, huge eyes, cling to a tree, look very vulnerable, but. Yeah, these are like the creepy cousins. They're sort of like, there's cute ones, yeah. and I don't know what they're called, but these are definitely like, there's something sinister. They move in this sort of very slow, deliberate, but sort of slightly awkward way. Yeah, they're like monkeys with rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, and they sort of have, this, yeah, grabbing the branch in a very sort of considered way. They're, it's like... Mm. You could sort of imagine a cartoon about them where, like, they're the evil ones, you know, they kind of, but if someone comes along, they can switch it on really quickly to sort of, you know, integrate themselves into the yeah, society. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah, they're very, you, you, you can imagine that they would be able to get, they'd be the ones who'd be assigned to get rid of the cops. Mm, yeah. You know, um, I yeah I think there's something very I think there's something deeply deeply unsettling and also evolutionarily they have made those eyes for themselves mm. for whatever reason to be cute to be seen to be sort of vulnerable I don't trust that yeah <laughs> yeah it's like evolved to be strong and quick-witted not just look like I'll evolve so that people feel sorry for me that will work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. But also they don't do any work. You know, it's like, you know, if you think sort of like a cat is, uh, they have evolved to um, revere us so that we'll revere them. Mm. Like they've worked it out. You know, <laughs> if they keep us sweet, we'll we'll continue to adore them. A slow Lawrence hasn't figured that out. Mm. They just have these stupid bulbous eyes yeah. and nothing else. And I mean, in this setting as well, we're saying the over, the the island is overran by them. So I mean, mm. to see a lot of those in one place, just sort of just slowly turning their heads to look at you, clinging onto a branch. I mean, it is just, yeah, yeah. I imagine how many times you'd like accidentally lean on one, mm. lean back against a tree, and you can suddenly feel something warm and furry on your back, oh. and it's and it's a slow loris clinging to the tree trunk. No, thank you. Oh, and just having to finish it off with those eyes. As well, just like to just put it yeah. out of its misery. Exactly, or like you know, and then David Attenborough's there, and he's and he's narrating and <laughs> giving me facts about them, and I'm like, I don't want to know more about these things. I want to be able to dispatch them when necessary. Yeah, yeah, fair choice. Yeah, that's a good, good, good suggestion. Yeah, and as I said, I was sort of watching it. With, I was watching a program about them the other day. It was, it was something with my son, and even though he's three and a half and should just you know automatically find things like that cute you could tell he was a bit like what the fuck's this thing you know this you could see there was a turmoil there it wasn't quite sort of sitting right with him rather you know show him a koala and you'd be like yeah okay that's fine but this thing didn't work so yeah there's there's definitely a, yeah. a, something going on there there's something not quite right isn't there because it's you know it's still as i say it's a you know it's obviously evolved this cute face it's very open but it's also got these weird claws mm. You know, and and um, it's very sinewy yeah. as well. It's half. It's like a sort of cut and shut animal of like cuteness and also sinisterness. Yeah, it can't make up its mind, and therefore we can't make up its mind, our, our mind about it. And uh, 
that for me makes it a danger. Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of, I can just sort of imagine a film where like they're all you see them as cute little babies, then one gets left behind, everyone else thinks it's dead, and then it comes back at the end, and it's you know it's been living in a sewer, and that's why it's a bit gnarled, and it's, it's I don't know, there's just there's a backstory there that needs exploring, but I don't want to, you know, mm. there's there's just unfinished yeah. business with a slow Loris, I think. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, look, Jordan, I think you've picked a, a brilliant selection of people and things for this island, and brilliantly terrible. I think the combination is awful, and it's gonna it's gonna give you a really hard time. So you've done brilliantly. So you've done brilliantly well on this. So thank you. <laughs> thank very you. Much. I'm not looking forward to being on this island at all. <laughs> well, uh, let's distract the listeners then from this this uh, setting. Um, where's the best place to sort of see and hear more from you at the moment? Um, well, I would say Twitter, but I've, 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 I just had my Twitter hacked, um, so I can't get into it, yeah. but um, uh, Jord Brooks mm-hmm. on Twitter would be, if I can get the account back, which I'm waiting for Twitter to get back to me. Because previously you had a bit of a, a sort of on and off thing with Twitter, didn't you, with um, where you were posing as uh, various, uh, as Boris Johnson for a while? Yeah, I was doing a few things. Well, a friend, a friend of mine said to me, it's weird that you have a blue tick. And I was like, I know, because I didn't ask for it. And she said, she said, what are you going to do to get rid of it? I said, <laughs> why would I get rid of it? And she said, because it's not very you to have a blue tick. And I was like, okay. And she said, then she told me about um, Jabuki, this this comedian who had, who had had a blue tick and had messed around with impersonating the FBI and stuff. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's a really funny way to do it, to go out in a sort of blaze of glory. So I did, so I changed to a few people, but I, no one took my blue tick away. And so I just kept going and still my blue tick remained. And then eventually I did, I did pretty Patel and I think she'd announced, yeah, she'd announced the particularly sort of egregious point system Mm. for people coming, coming into the country. And I did a tweet about it, and then so this is you sort of changing your profile to look like Pretty Patel, and sort of yeah, yeah. So posing, essentially posing as them, but breaking the rules. I think you're not supposed to do it. Um, but all I thought as a consequence would happen is that I would lose my blue tick, and instead, I think what happened is Twitter hadn't actually noticed, but the algorithm or whatever systems that you know automated systems they have in place knew that there was something odd going on. <laughs> So locked me out of my account um, and sort of reset my my profile. So, you know, took my took the Pretty Patel photo away, took the name away. And I just couldn't get into it. Mm. Um, so, uh, but eventually then a friend of a friend of a friend said, look, I know someone who works for Twitter who might be able to help you. Because um, I thought it had been hacked mm. initially. But it just—I—I I don't think that was the case. Um, and this—and this person, I emailed this person, and they said, "Yeah, sure, I'll take care of it." And then half an hour later, I had an email from Twitter being like, "Please reset your passwords." And I reset it, and suddenly I was back in. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm quite lucky, and also very lucky that they didn't take the blue tick away. Still, I still have it, but then obviously it's left me vulnerable to hacking because. Um, it's it's it has uh, it has I guess it has some value in terms of if you're if you're a bot yeah. if you want to spam, it's best to commandeer a blue tick account. So so yeah. So the other day it it happened. Okay. I got hacked for real, but hopefully it'll be back at some point. Okay. So we'll keep up to date with you there then as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep checking. Keep checking that Twitter account. And if it suddenly stops tweeting in Arabic, then it's uh, it means I'm back. Brilliant. All right, John. Well, thank you again for coming on Desert Island Dicks today. Thanks for having me. It's great. Cheers. Cheers.